Doug is on retreat at the monastery, and um, and in his absence tonight, he asked uh, Gary Stratton to come and preach in his stead. So Gary's going to come up in just a minute. This is the scripture reading that prepares us for his message. Matthew six twenty five. If you want to read with me, you're welcome to do so. Matthew six twenty five. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. And now if you'll put your hands together to welcome Gary Stratton. See what that's for later. Good evening. evening. It's always so great to be with you all, whether we're worshiping with you or the second time Doug has trusted me to preach to you, which says something about his lack of good judgment, but I am very encouraged to be here. My wonderful wife, Sue, is with me as well. Uh, I'll tell some stories about her. Uh, no, I won't. Uh, when uh, Sue and I were newly married, our first summer married, we uh, got a chance to meet Doug and Sandy before they were a thing. Uh, providentially, uh, the Lord put Doug in my discipleship group uh, and a discipleship project. Uh, and uh, even though I think I was about 18 months older than Doug, so it's not... Uh, uh, it really wasn't really much discipling going on, but it was nice. But also in that group, put a young Californian who had a great friend named Sandy that he really wanted Doug to meet, and that turned out quite well. So it is really fun to be uh, back with Doug and Sandy in Knoxville and to see this wonderful thing that's come to pass in All Souls uh, and in everything that we've been doing in our now starting our third year. It's exactly. Uh, Two years ago, this last month, that we, we moved to Knoxville. Whoever thought that would happen? How many people can say that? I never thought that would happen. Uh, especially after we lived in Memphis and hated it. We didn't realize that everybody hates Memphis. So, especially people in Knoxville. Uh, but it is such a joy to be with you all. Uh, can I uh, lead us in prayer real briefly and then... Lord, I know that uh, even research says that no one's going to remember anything I said. 
uh, certainly not a year from now. I had to go back and look at my own notes, Lord, to see what I said here last year. And yet, Lord, I know that you can meet us and that you can be our teacher and you can do something transforming in our midst. And so we do invite you to come here tonight as our teacher, as our guest of honor. By your spirit, lead us. And can I ask you to pray this aloud with me? It's something I just kind of like people to be able to do. Would you just say, Lord Jesus, Jesus, speak to me me. from your word word. tonight. Amen. Amen. I don't know what you're really scared of, uh, but anybody want to put public speaking in that category? Uh, And when something is really on the line, when you really want something to go well, it's even worse. Uh, I'll tell in a minute kind of how I ended up on this, into this horrible, wonderful moment in my life. But for only the third time in my life, uh, and only the second time as any kind of headliner, I was invited to speak at an Ivy League school uh, at Princeton Theological Seminary. I was scared enough about it at all, but it was a conference on morality in the media. Uh, And since I was a college professor who was working in Hollywood, that made a good person. You know, there are not many of those. Uh, And so uh, I was the only Jonathan Edwards scholar in all Hollywood. Uh, I was a good person to have come. And I was relatively excited about it, if a little scared, until the opening session. You want to show the picture? The opening speaker was Devon Franklin. And I'm just going to read. This is like just like his Wikipedia, like short little first beginning of his thing. Devon Franklin is an award-winning Hollywood producer, best-selling author, and renowned preacher. Best known for his films, Miracles from Heaven, Heaven is for Real, and the New York Times best-selling book, The Weight, which he co-wrote with his beautiful actress wife, Megan Good. Variety magazine named him one of the top... Hollywood producers to watch. BeliefNet named him one of the most influential Christians under 40, and Ebony Ebony Magazine has named him one of the top 100 most influential African Americans in America. And he killed it. I mean, he killed it. He gave one of the best combination academic message preaching things. Everything but an altar call. I mean, it it was absolutely amazing. And people... Princeton students packed into the room to hear him. And as the, long, the longer Devon spoke, the more I found myself sinking into my seat. What was worse is I didn't get a chance to just follow up right away. The next session wasn't until that evening after dinner. And I had to go back to my room. And back in my room, I had a full-on, though I wouldn't, didn't even understand what it was at the time, a full-on panic attack. I was completely shut down. I mean, that's what anxiety does. In the same way I know Doug was talking about shame, how shame hijacks, hijacks your limbic system, well, anxiety does exactly the same thing in different ways. It puts in the full blow, your, either your fight, flight, or freeze, uh, instincts in your brain and all of them were fighting I was trying to think of a reason why I was sick and couldn't give my lecture that was the flight I was uh, trying to think I'm going to make this really good the fight and mostly I was just frozen in place I 
I don't know if I've ever been so shut down at any given moment. I just finished reason, reading the book, uh, The Girl with a Thousand Gifts. Anybody read it? Great sci-fi uh, exploration of human nature. But it's the basic story is about how a uh, some wise scientist decides to weaponize the fungus that is in the Amazon rainforest that when it gets onto ants, goes into their bodies and takes over their brains. And literally... The fungus drives the ant, and the ant goes to the tallest tree where it slowly gets taken over by the fungus and dies and sends out spores of the virus everywhere. Well, somebody got the idea of weaponize that, and it gets into people, and it's just a really bad thing where people are completely taken over by a fungus. And let me tell you, anxiety had completely taken over and was ready to send its spores everywhere through me. I curled up in the bed, and I literally was unable to move. Now, I got there honestly. And all that coming through my mind was verses like the one that Jesse just read. Do not worry about your life. <laughs> yeah, right. What on earth does that even mean? Have you ever felt that way? I had been a worrier my entire life. Night after night, my parents tell me I had this sleep disorder related that I would come down and or wake them up in the night saying, I can't sleep. Why? I'm worried. And I tell them, worry about a test or a tryout or a game or anything. And they tell me famously one day I came down and said, uh, I can't sleep. What's wrong? I'm worried. What are, you, what are you worried about? I said, I'm worried that I can't think of anything to worry about. I mean, I am a committed worrier. I've been paralyzed with anxiety and coping mechanisms my whole life. And, boy, if you think things are bad at Princeton, I mean, just I get paralyzed. I had to do a 15-minute devotional for our own students at Johnson University uh, about a month ago. And the night before, I was driving to Dollar General and got a half, and got, and ate a half a bag of pretzels just out of coping mechanism. And when I, started, when I first started teaching, I used to eat an entire giant bag of roll gold pretzels every day driving to and from campus. Uh, no fat, so it was healthy, right? I, when I finally started hitting me, I thought I was struggling with depression. And so I steeled myself up and went to see a counselor, and they gave me all this battery test and came back and said, good news. I said, well, I says, you're not depressed. I said, oh, that's nice. He said, what am I? He says, you're like off the charts, scale high in anxiety. Well, when someone gives you news that you don't want to hear, you just ignore it. I said, well, that's not true. I'm a Christian. Christians can't be anxious, right? I'm a Christian leader. I can't do that. So I just ignored them and said, I get a second opinion. Who? The second person said to me, the second therapist said to me, the most authoritative, authoritative voice in your life, greater than scripture, the church, or the voice of God, is the voice of your own anxiety. And I didn't want to listen to him either. And then I got invited to do something in my coping mechanism with my anxiety, and I'll tell you a little bit where that comes from later, is to try to be successful, to control things. Uh, I was invited for two years to do national workshops for student affairs professionals with Dr. Todd Hall of Rosemead School of Psychology, which meant for two years Todd Hall had to listen to me talk about spiritual formation, but I had to listen to Todd give his workshops, and his workshops were on attachment theory. His basic research shows that in the same way that we develop an attachment with our parents, 
We just take whatever attachment we've developed with our parents and we just put, project that onto God. So the foundation of the default mode of our relationship with God is the attachment patterns we had with our parents. Now, for some of you, that is really good news, right? You had great parents, and you have very secure attachment patterns. Uh, we were teasing Turner today that this isn't, this isn't a huge issue for him. He's got secure attachment patterns. Not so most of us. Milan and Kay Yurkovich have discovered there's at least five different anxious attachment patterns. Some of us are anxious avoidance. That is, when we get anxious, we just avoid the situation. Some of us are anxious pleasers. We get anxious, we just try to please everybody around us. Some of us are anxious controllers. When we get anxious, we try to control the situation somehow. Or some of us are anxious vacillators that we just kind of bass around and we can't make our decisions when we're, when we're anxious. Some of us are anxious self-victimizers and we literally self-sabotage ourselves or put ourselves in a victimization mode when we feel anxious. And some of us are all of the above. And all of us who have this basic anxiety structure choose one or more of these strategies at any given moment. My particular type of anxiety pattern is normally formed when someone, when someone has things kind of start right in their life and then go wrong. Normally, and I see if I can get, pull this up. I suddenly remembered where it was that I read this, that Sue read this to me, and I started weeping because it described my life so well. At an early age, perhaps around age of three, Something happened in your family that left you feeling prematurely cut off from your mother or other nurturing figure. Perhaps you went back to work or got sick or had a baby. All you knew is that your source of nurturing was no longer as available as she had been. The withdrawal of her constant care was a source of much pain, more pain than you could tolerate. So at some point, you made an unconscious decision. You vowed, well, I can't trust someone else to take care of me. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm not waiting around and wasting time feeling, far, feeling sorry for myself. I've got to make sure that I get what I want. Well, that was my anxious pattern. Because of my dysfunction with my dad, he only valued me when I was successful. He only paid attention to me when I, did, when I brought home an A or I did, some, did well in a game. I just determined that what I needed was to be successful at everything I did, and I happened to pick higher education, which brought me back to Princeton Theological Seminary, which should have been the pinnacle of everything, to a lecture on a conference on media and morality following, picture again, Devon Franklin. (laughs) This is a worst-case scenario. (laughs) But you know what? This is not a modern phenomena, this anxiety that we feel. I think it's why Jesus spent so much of his time talking to the people of his day about their anxiety. That what we know about anxiety is that it is a fear of an anticipated future rooted in our understanding of the past. Our brains are literally designed to keep us living in one of those both directions. The left side of our brain is really focused on the past, really focused on understanding and codified everything that's happened up until this moment. And the right side of our brain is totally focused on the future, constantly sweeping. Is there anything out here that can help me survive and thrive in my life? 
and anything that I should be fearful of. It's incredibly difficult for us to stay present in any given moment. App designers have designed exactly how to distract us constantly. And your phone is designed to distract you from living in the present moment. It's programming itself to how well you respond. It literally is paying attention to if, if, when you get alerts, how often, how loud, how, what words will work for you. It's incredibly difficult for us to be any place except living in this place of anxiety based on what's happened to me in the past, fearful about the future. Now, Jesus' first salvo is to say, no, 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 no. Pay attention to what's going around you. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. There's a different attachment here. You've got a heavenly Father that's there for you and provides for you. Can any one of you worry by adding a single hour of your life? Now he's making us look out to the future and how foolish this is. And don't worry about your clothes. See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you little faiths? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows your needs. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. Now, those are calm and reassuring words, are they not? They're good ones to actually memorize. They're good ones to have on side. They're good ones to meditate upon. They're good ones to use to analyze our story from the past, how it's influencing us and our fears of the future, how they're not justified in the way that we think they are. But let me tell you something. Quaking in bed at Princeton Theological Seminary, having to go on to follow Devon Franklin, that doesn't help. Do you know what I'm talking about? Say amen. If I'm saying, okay. Nice platitudes. Well, I think Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Because earlier in, the, in this passage, he talks about a different way of approaching things, a more inward way. In Matthew 6, 6 through 9, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, which literally means inward. Then your Father who sees what is done, and here it says secret, but it's literally the word inwardly, will reward you. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think you'll, they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray our Father in heaven. Jesus becomes the first, and as far as we know, the only rabbi that ever instructed his followers to, inter- to address God as Father, as their Father, and as later as Abba, a term of endearment. Inward prayer. I know some of you have some experience with this. And I know this is something that's practiced in some different settings in all souls. But Doug asked if I can dig in just a little bit deeper with this. Inward prayer, or what's uh, 
fancy people call apophatic prayer, prayer without words, is designed not to seek help for the future fear you're facing, nor to seek healing for the past story that's wounded you. Because both those actions still trap you in the story. That inward prayer is a practice the church has developed over 2,000 years to help you literally fall right through your story into the awareness of God as Father. What we've discovered through 2,000 years of helping people grow spiritually is that we kind of have two types of awareness, and each one has a two phases. The first one is just kind of ordinary way awareness. We're going through life, stimulus, response, stimulus, response, stimulus, response, responding to our past, fearing the future, very much trapped in our anxieties. And then as we begin to grow and mature, we begin to become aware of that story, become aware of those things, what's influenced, what we're afraid of, and we begin to develop what is known as self-awareness. And that self-awareness helps us to be able to recognize that I am not my brain. I am not my story. I can begin to edit my own story. I can begin to participate in some healing. And then I fall into the next phase, which is I become spiritually aware of the resources that are available to me. And so I can meditate on verses such as Matthew chapter 6. Do not worry. Lord, you're there for me. You're my heavenly father. You'll provide for me. But there's a whole other operating system that we possess that's our inward operating system that overlaps with self-awareness at something known as spiritual awareness. So I begin to become aware spiritually. And those two things work together. I can really only know God as well as I know myself. I can really only know myself as well as I... I wanted to start praying right now. I can only know God as well as I know myself. I can only know myself as well as I know God. That there's this constant thing that takes place. But deeper still is a direct awareness of God as Father himself. How many of you believe that God's present in this room right now? Like as a statement of faith. How many of you believe that he's with you when you're driving down the road? How many of you believe he's with you when you're at work, when your boss is yelling at you? A little fewer hands. <laughs> How many believe he's with me when I was trembling in the bed at Princeton Theological Seminary? But did, I had no access to that. Inward prayer is designed to create a space where you can fall through your story and be directly apprehending of God's, just simply his presence with us. It's simply hanging with him. It's very counterintuitive. There's no words except maybe one to keep you centered. There's no content, and you're not looking for any spiritual experience, and you're not looking for God to speak. You're simply looking to be present with God. Well, I'd only been practicing centering prayer about a year that day at Princeton. I'm now going into the sixth year practicing it. But it transformed me that day to let the waves of Anxiety go over me, but to, sit, to simply sit and be present. Lord, I, I want to be fully present to you here now. And centering prayer, most people practice it this way. Sitting, because we're not as distracted. 
and it helps. Have you ever sang in a choir? You sang in a choir. Okay. If you're sitting down and singing, there's just a way that you have to sit to be able to sing. You kind of sit with your back arched, kind of sit up, kind of keep you from falling asleep too. Keeping your hands open, which just is a gesture of surrender. Normally it helps to close your eyes because if you don't, you'll get distracted by other things. But when I'm praying outdoors, sometimes I'll keep my eyes open and look at the beauty around me. And then it's simply either saying a phrase as simple as, Lord, help me be present to you here now. But that's a good way to start, but that's too long and too distracting. So normally I just pray Abba, Father, or just Abba. And every time you find one of these worries or anxieties moving towards you, instead of dealing with it, you just let it go. And another one will come, and you just let it go. But your whole focus is, can I stay fully present to the God who's right here, right now, with me? Well, after not that long a period of time, I was tapped into, he's present here with me now. And I got just enough grace to go up and do my lecture, which went okay. And then I thought I did terrible because literally everybody left the room. Like, nobody talked to me. They just all left the room. And I thought, what a disaster. But I wandered out of the room, and every, there was refreshments out there. That's where everybody was. And everybody started saying, hey, that was really good. But what was even cooler was later that night, I got an opportunity to close in prayer. And in the midst of that prayer, God came into the room in a way that we've probably seen happen maybe six or seven times in our entire life. And in fact, three years later, I was talking to the woman who sponsored that conference and another faculty member at Princeton that were saying, we talk about that as the night that God came to Princeton. But it came not because of any great wisdom or strength in me, but simply by seeking to be present to him, which creates, somehow makes that spill over into the rest of your life in ways that are really difficult to explain. I've lost 20 pounds without trying because I'm not stress eating like I used to. I actually enjoy most of the time when I have to speak publicly, which I have to do a lot, so that's good. (laughs) I'm actually being a little bit of a nut again. My wife can testify to that. The other day, last day, uh, last Saturday, I went golfing for the first time in 10 years. I was praying for rain. It rained all day everywhere except at this thing. It was a fundraiser someone talked me into. I had not touched the club in 10 years. I went and I golfed better than I've ever golfed in my entire life. Matter of fact, everybody's going, whoa, you're really good. I outdrove the club pro twice. Do you know why? No anxiety. I was just swinging. Instead of doing a quiet reflection on the word, I thought I'd lead you in just a few moments of centering prayer. Now, I don't know if you ever struggle with anxiety. Any, anybody here ever? I, I, and to really get serious at centering prayer, it's something that it's best to practice daily so that you're ready for those horrible moments of anxiety. And then it begins to spill into your whole life. But it's something good to have just in the pinch when you need it. 
the standard practice for people is 20 minutes a day, and soon they're pretty religious about that. Um, we're not going to do 20 minutes. Uh, we're just going to do a few, and it's going to feel like 20. Um, and always set a timer, because that really reduces your anxiety. <laughs> oh, my God, I've been praying. Oh, God. It's, it's been two minutes. So, um, so I'm going to... So it's very, very simple. You're not trying to hear something. You're going to be distracted constantly, at least every seven seconds, often every one second, something. And don't worry about it. Just let it go. And just remember, I'm just here with you, Lord. I'm just hanging with you. If one word helps center you, then pick a word that makes you feel particularly close to God. It could be Jesus. It could be Abba. It could be something else. And let's just practice it for a few minutes. Father, I ask us, we just simply wait on you? You're so gracious sometimes to give like an initial grace at something, to give us a, a little first taste of something. So, Lord, I ask in just the few minutes that we wait on you, Lord, that you would give that sense, that deeper sense of awareness to many in the room. Lord, I ask to help each one of us be resilient against our anxieties. We simply wait on you. Open the eyes of our heart to see the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of your love and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Do you like seven minutes? The reason I pick seven minutes is because we've all been programmed by television. There's always seven minutes between commercials. So that's normally the length of our... In fact, if you start doing this for 20 minutes a day, you'll notice that every seven minutes you'll kind of come up for air and look at the clock because <laughs> we've been so programmed. And that's, it's okay to be constantly up and down. You'll start to notice the difference even in your physiology. Some of the coughing in the room is a really normal part of the process of kind of moving from the upper outward self to the inward self. Sometimes there's actually a dis- difference in, re- in respiration and in heart rate and other things. You actually can study someone's brain when they're doing centering prayer, and there's just certain things that happen to it. We don't understand what they are, but we can see them happening and recognize uh, Annie Newton at the University of Pennsylvania. You can show them somebody praying out loud and someone doing centering prayer, and can tell you which is which. Um, you don't have to ever do this again. You'll get it. You'll have it if you're ever in having a panic attack. You might need medication too, which I eventually did too. But, um, but as a regular practice, something that's kind of lost in the contemporary church, it is a really powerful remedy to the distractedness and anxiety that's built into our modern life. And uh, I hope it's helpful. Thanks. Mm-hmm.